Attention HR professionals. Are you tired of dealing with poor performance from your managers? Are you sick of having managers run to you for every single little problem? Would you like to build the confidence and competence of your management team? If so, then contact Boss Builders. At Boss Builders, we specialize in building up the skills and confidence of your organization's managers. We do this through our popular Driving Results on-site training programs, our signature program, the Video-Driven Boss Builder Academy, and we even license our course materials so you and your internal training staff can get those managers confident and competent. For more information on how we can help you improve the performance of your organization's managers, contact us today at www.thebossbuilders.com or at 931-221-2988. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the transition to management. If you're the boss, you know how stressful the job is, how you are expected to be on call 24-7, and how sometimes it's completely mentally and physically exhausting. I think if you've been listening to this show long enough, you know that I hate corporate buzzwords and little training topics that I think are not full of merit. And I must admit, when I heard the term mindfulness and heard everybody raving about it, I started to have my doubts. But then I interviewed our guest today, Cheryl Mirabella. It's a very hard name to say quickly. She's an expert in mindfulness coaching, and I believe that she completely changed my mind on it. I saw the true value of taking some time to unpack your brain and just take some time to sit in silence. And so I decided that I would not only play it on HR Oxygen, our sister podcast, but I would also bring it out here for you as well, the busy, stressed out boss. This may be one of those podcasts that you would probably tune out, but I'm going to tell you, make sure you tune in. More than that, listen to it and take some good notes. If you take the time to train your brain, I promise you will be more effective in your important role as the boss. So with no further delays, let's meet our special guest, Cheryl Mirabella. Cheryl Mirabella. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mac. It's so great to be here this morning. I'm really glad to have you. We've had this schedule for a while, and I know you've been in some transition, and, and I want to hear a little bit more about where you're living now, just so we make our audience really, really jealous. The topic today <laughs> is the power of pause, and we'll get into some questions around that. But before we do, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Thank you, Mac. Well, I am currently living in Park City, Utah. Just recently relocated from my home area of Washington, D.C., Alexandria, Virginia, where I lived all of my life. Um, and my background is is kind of varied. Um, I uh, began my career actually in the hospitality industry with uh, Hyatt Hotels. And that was kind of fun for a while when I was young and right out of college. But um, then I transitioned kind of quickly into the high tech world, which just kind of was not really the best match for me, but it was, it was a friend who was in a startup and I ended up doing super well, um, but it just didn't feed my, my heart, my soul. I would, you know, not pick up PC Weekly and, and 
you know, <laughs> flip through that at the end of the day. And so while I was there making more money than a 20 something year old should have, I decided to start a, a nonprofit and I started a nonprofit called What Women Can Do. And what I was doing there was basically um, placing professional speakers and trainers into uh, women's uh, homeless shelters in the DC metro area. I started with the House of Ruth, and then I grew it to a shelter in Maryland, and and uh, one in Northern Virginia. House of Ruth is in DC, and then I grew to one in uh, Northern Virginia and in Maryland, and ran that nonprofit for five years. Um, and what I was doing was providing um, speakers who were offering life skill topics. So how to interview, uh, to get a job, how to dress for success, um, communication skills, um, all of these real important life skills that women who were transitioning from homelessness back into uh, apartment and work life uh, needed. Um, well, during that time, I met some absolutely amazing volunteers um, who were professional speakers and trainers. And one by one came up to me and said, Cheryl, I uh, love volunteering for you. Um, and in my real life, this is what I do for a living. I'm a professional speaker and trainer. And I don't love marketing. If you were um, interested in helping me to you know, grow my business, I would pay you something. And so basically what happened was from my brokering of trainers for free into homeless shelters um, was born my business, which was Maribel and Associates, where I for 20 years, brokered uh, speakers and trainers all over the D.C. metro area and around the country. Um, I had thousands of speakers and trainers that I brokered in a wide variety of topic areas, um, everything from leadership skills to management skills to communication skills, sexual harassment, diversity, the wide, wide scope. And at the time, um, I was working very closely with clients and they would ask me for a particular kind of trainer or, or a speaker and I would match them based on their culture and, and the, the personality of the speaker and trainer. So I did that, enjoyed it, was able to raise my son during that time. And then I turned my focus to my passion, which was nutrition. And I went back to school um, in uh, nutrition. Uh, this is now after I had a master's in counseling and psychology and business degree. I decided what I really love is wellness and nutrition. So I'm going to do this just for fun. It really wasn't that I was thinking about a career change because I loved my brokering business. But you know how life is and how you get these little nudges. And so I went back to nutrition school and just kind of played around and offering free talks myself and coaching sessions. And before I knew it, I had a full practice and I had written and developed about 15, 16 different um, presentations and was now turning my attention to my wellness business, um, which is what I'm still doing today, um, many years later. So I have a private coaching practice where I work with individuals who are, um, um, you know, looking to get healthy mind, body, and spirit. And also I deliver corporate wellness education. Um, up until my relocation, I was probably speaking every day, sometimes twice a day um, on a variety of different topic areas in the wellness um Everything from heart health, diabetes prevention to mindfulness and meditation. 
So I actually then got more training in mindfulness and uh, took the MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction training, and um, did, did a deep dive into the benefits of, of mindfulness on stress reduction because I recognized that most all of my clients were suffering from some level of high stress burn and burnout, and it was affecting their health. And so um, that you know brings me to today and how I'm still very much enjoying doing the work of, of helping individuals get healthy, stay healthy, reestablish a kind of a balanced lifestyle. That's quite a journey. I mean, when you think about your ex, your experience in the tech world, which seems to me just completely <laughs> night and day different from what you're doing today. And so what was, and I'm not going to try to pin an age on you, but what was the span of time between I don't get excited reading PC world to today? Is that, has it been 20 years, 15 years? <laughs> It's been thirty years. So, thirty years. Okay. Yeah, so that means yeah. you're you're about thirty five. That's okay. it. Yeah, I started really, really. You young, have to you know, start young. Exactly. Well, I, I think that's an important. I mean, it's an important lesson. I, you know, some of the folks that listen to this show, I think, are probably in a career dilemma. Like, I hate what I do, but I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. And and you know, part of that is that it's a journey. I mean, obviously, you've gone from tech to nonprofit to brokering speakers to now your practice here and you're starting a whole new phase of life in a really, really different environment than where you've lived most of your life. So this That's is, right. I, yeah. so I guess, you know, life's a journey and obviously you're, you're on a, a pretty good place and I'll be curious to see where it goes over time. So but thank <laughs> so you. That's a, that's a great background. <laughs> do you still do your uh, training broker business or have you folded that one? Um, no, it just kind of, I do from time to time when I still get calls, but, um, I pretty much turned all my focus and attention into the new career path and that's been 16 years of that. So, um, yeah, no, not so much of that anymore. It was a wonderful run. I really, really enjoyed it, but I think my heart was just saying it's time for you to get out and actually step from behind the scenes and actually do the work yourself and find the thing that you're passionate about uh, speaking about and working with. And so health and wellness became my, my focus. Okay. Well, we want to talk a little bit about mindfulness. You've used the term multiple times. I've had a few other folks on the show that talk about mindfulness. And yet, I don't know if anybody can really clearly define. There's some that think mindfulness is where you could close your eyes and bend spoons with your mind. And then there's others that probably think it's something that's touchy-feely and maybe based on Eastern religions. And yet I see it on the cover of Time Magazine. It's in all sorts of articles on LinkedIn. So obviously this is a big deal that may be a little hard to define. So from your perspective, Cheryl, what is mindfulness and what's the big deal about mindfulness these days? Yeah, it is a big deal, isn't it? It seems to be everywhere and there's a reason for it. Um, we're in a place and time in our world, in our country, in our own minds where our ability to focus and pay attention and to be present is being, you know, ever so challenged. Um, and so what mindfulness is, is just simply paying attention to the present moment, just to make it a super simple definition, is, is being here and now. Um, in other words, you and I are in this conversation and we're 
fully focused on this conversation. You know, I'm not multitasking and sending a text or emailing someone else or doing anything else, but, but fully attending to this conversation in this moment. And, you know, I think we've all had the experience of what it is like to be um, fully attended to, because these days it's, it's very challenging. And so there are many, many, many benefits um, to having a mindfulness practice where you learn to do just that, to train our brains to be uh, not in the future and worrying about what's coming up and not ruminating on things that have happened to us in the past, um, but just being fully present in the here and the now. There's a lot of science um, that is backing up um, the benefits of, of a mindfulness practice, which is why you're suddenly now seeing it everywhere. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about, because it, it seems to me that just closing your eyes and focusing in the moment, that's just like a normal thing that people just have got away from doing because everything comes at you at, you know, 50 different directions at once. But you did mention science. So tell us what the science is on mindfulness now. Right. So there are many, many different studies because now we're able to peer into the brain. And so in the last, say, dozen years, we are using MRI scans to, to observe brains who meditate and brains that don't. And so there's some good studies and there's some not so great studies, but what we are seeing that uh, for somebody who sits in a practice, so let me just describe what a practice is. A practice is the actual uh, practice of sitting down and staying in the present moment. So it's a meditation practice, which is not connected, does not have to be connected to any kind of religious practice or Eastern um, you know, philosophy. It's simply brain training is the way it's been uh, trained to me and described to me so that you are, um, say you set your timer like I did this morning and I do every morning. So I meditate with intention at least 15 minutes every day, almost every day. It doesn't happen every day, but that's my intention. And so what I do is when the, the ringer, the bell goes off, um, my mind immediately begins to wander, which is normal. Everybody's mind will wander. As long as I'm alive and breathing, my mind will wander into many different thoughts. But here's what we, we do when we're sitting in practice. I catch myself in thought. So say the bell goes off. And I start thinking about breakfast. What am I going to have for breakfast? And, you know, what do we have in the house? And what am I going to do after breakfast? Am I going to go for my walk? Or, and so I'm in thought. And then I catch myself. And I notice that I'm in thought. And I bring myself back to my, my, my meditation. So just the fact that I'm sitting in my chair or on the floor or upright in my bed or wherever I am meditating in that moment. And I just notice that I'm breathing. I just notice my gentle in-breath and my gentle out-breath. Oftentimes I, I tell my clients and in our teachings, we'll say, you know, find an anchor word that will bring you back. So here I catch myself in thought. I don't judge myself for thinking because that's normal. I kind of laugh and I just say, there I go in thought. I catch myself though. And you can choose an anchor word for me. It's like peace or um. And I just bring myself back to this moment in the chair and then I just stay here as long as I can. <laughs> and then I'm off again. And that's just normal. Then my mind starts to wander again. I might think about what I have to do later, what happened yesterday. Once again, I catch myself in thought and I bring myself back. So it's kind of like going to the gym for your brain. And you're constantly strengthening this focus muscle, this muscle in your brain that is attentive, this 
part of your brain that allows you to stay here, stay now and stay focused. And so it's a constant uh, refocusing without judgment, with kindness. And so eventually what happens is when we are in real life, we're not in our practice, but say I am you know, sitting down at my desk and I'm attending to a project and then my mind wanders and I catch myself and I bring myself back to what I'm working on. Um, and so studies have shown, the research has shown that the levels of focus, uh, ability to solve problems, attentiveness um, to our work, to our relationships, to um, that, you know, to our life, you know, to pay attention to that we're crossing the street and, uh, that there's cars around us and that we're not, our heads aren't in our phones, you know, but that we're here and we're now. And, um, so that is why companies are so interested is because they're, they're seeing that their employees are having a lot of trouble, um, with all the distractions of life, staying focused and, and getting their work done and not making as many mistakes. And also just quality of life, just when you're walking around more mindfully, uh, like on this beautiful summer we're having here in, in Utah, you know, everything's in bloom and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm not walking past the flowers and not noticing them. I'm really stopping and taking it in um, because that's what I'm doing. I'm taking a walk in nature. So I'm not off wondering about paying my bills later, but I'm walking in nature at that moment. Long it's answer not, to your question. Well, well it's, but it sounds, I mean, it sounds good, but I must admit, thinking about when I'm going to take some time to do this thinking and tune everything out that's important, mm-hmm. it kind of stresses me out. So yeah, how does this actually and, uh, fit, fit with stress? Yeah. So this is, this is a really good question. So this is what the resistance most people have is I don't have the time for this. And it's going to make me anxious to try to sit and keep refocusing. But like anything, if we wanted to build our body stronger and we were to go to the gym and work our upper body so that we would have upper body strength, it's the same with our mind. It's, it's basically training. We're going to the gym for our mind so that when we need to be able to focus and get things done and not make mistakes and not... Um, I would say one of the one of the other great benefits is is our ability to not react to every single trigger, um, but to pause. And this is really why you know I called it the power of pause because think about it um, when we are triggered. So say something happens at work um, and and you are uh, and you know, somebody antagonizes a, a, a response that may not be a professional response to get angry or upset with them. Um, and if you have a, a daily practice, you have a better ability to when you're triggered to pause for even if it's a second or two and decide in that moment, do I want to react to this person? Do I want to yell? Do I want to get angry? Do I want to shoot off this this hostile email that that might be words that I can't take, well, words that I can't take back, even if they're the spoken word. If we speak in anger at uh, our coworkers, our boss, our people in our life that we care about, think of the damage that happens there. Think of the time and effort when we say things out of upset or anger that we can't undo. So when we think, I don't have this 10 minutes for this practice, 
think of how many times you've made a mistake by acting hastily, whether, you know, on a work project or in a conversation um, that we now spend, you know, days, weeks, sometimes years trying to repair the damage that we've done in one conversation, just as an example, one simple example. Well, I love that because that's what, you know, in our business, people say, I, I don't have time to talk to my employees about that. Well, then you make the time to document so you can get rid of them. So it's it's very same argument, I guess. Take 10 minutes for mindfulness. And that 10 minutes is a great investment. It's a great investment. And it allows you to be more present as a manager, as a leader, more thoughtful so that, you know, and, and a pause can simply be a few seconds where you might say to someone, this is not a good time to have that conversation. You know, I'm in the middle of three other things. Um, you know, let's, you know, send me an email and we'll, we'll look at calendars and make something happen. Or if it's in your personal life, you might have a, a, a teenage child come to you at 11 o'clock at night when that's their just getting started with their energy and you're winding down and, and you know that's not a good time for you to have a conversation or maybe when you're hangry, you're hungry and you're tired, you just got home from work and you need to sit down and have something to eat before you get into a more intense or detailed conversation about something important. So just to have that mindfulness of your own body, your own mind, like where are you right now? Is it a good time? to have this conversation, to work on this project, to respond to this email, or should I just wait a few minutes, a few hours, or maybe tomorrow? So that, again, just that that sense of where you are, who you are in this moment can create and, you know, I should say, save a lot of uh, potentially uh, time and effort trying to do things when we're not in our best time and place to do them. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. How many hours of your day are wasted by managers calling with personal problems they really should be able to handle on their own? Why not give them a copy of the Essential HR Handbook? The newly revised and updated 10th anniversary edition of this bestseller is jam-packed with tools, checklists, sample forms, and timely tips to guide you through the maze of HR issues in today's complex business environment. So, buy a copy of the Essential HR Handbook for each of your managers today, and keep a copy on your own desk, too. And now, back to the show. Well, so then so far, what mindfulness, as you define it, is that I'm going to take time to actually be in the moment minus the distractions. And then a second build on that is a self-awareness that I know when is not a good time to have a conversation. And I'm basically going to own the fact that I'm not ready right now. Is that a pretty good summation of it? Exactly. Because when you're when you have more awareness, period, you're more aware of your own mood, your energy, your where you are. So what happens is a lot of us, when we're mindless, we're just going, 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 and we're not stopping and taking kind of an inventory of, oh, let me just see right now, is this a good time for me to work on this project or have this conversation? So just, just being a little bit more discerning. So that power of pause allows that. And that can be incredibly uh, lead to more productivity, less mistakes, 
and just, again, a, a better quality of life and, and better relationships. Well, you obviously know a lot about this. So how do you go from working in the tech field to working in nonprofits to working as a training and speaker broker to now your practice? This doesn't seem like it has anything to do with food. So how did you get into this <laughs> part of your practice? And, you know, so what's the story around that? Yeah. So, um, I, I was very fortunate. I grew up in a home where my, my mother, um, got very interested in health and wellness. Um, I think she was in her late thirties, early forties. Her mother had had a stroke and she, you know, took care of her. And, and I think it kind of, she thought, wow, this is in our family history, heart disease. Um, what can we do in our, what can I do? What can I do for my own family? And so we, we literally, we were pretty healthy eaters and eat pretty much whole foods, but there was still uh, sweets coming in the house. My dad would stop at the hostess uh, store and bring home Twinkies and, and things. He had a sweet tooth and, and, you know, I rode my bike to 7-Eleven and got my jawbreakers and, you know, we, we had our, our, our sweet thing happening, but um, mom, you know, really started doing all the research and there were not whole foods and stores like that then. So she had to go to the little small health food stores and, you know, uh, try to, you know, gather the best food that she could um, for our family. And so I, as a teenager at the time, resisted, which is our job. And like I said, still got on my bike and rode to the 7-Eleven. But by the time I got to college, I um, I noticed all my, all my, you know, my friends in college were all getting sick. And I remembered all the things my mom taught me. Um, I was like, oh, you need more vitamin C and you shouldn't be eating as much sugar. And so it was in me, you know, from a very young age. And I started practicing that in my own family and raising my own son. And it was just a passion of mine. And so, um, uh, but I didn't, like I said, you know, as you saw, you know, many years went by before I began to choose it as a career. Um, but when I started coaching people, um, you know, I noticed immediately you can talk food all day long. You can coach people about how to eat more whole foods and eat less sugar and uh, improve your diet. But if there's a lot of stress and a lot of emotional upheaval, I'm just going to tell you that the, I have yet to meet anyone who doesn't do some level of emotional eating or drinking. Mm -hmm. um, we use food, we use alcohol, we use drugs, we use internet, we use so many things to deal with our emotions. And, um, and we're not sleeping as a result of it. And so I, that's when I really did the deep dive into how can I really help my clients um, make changes for life and, and really have the, the health coaching piece stick and work. And so, um, so that's where I really integrated um, the emotional coaching, the mindfulness coaching, along with the nutrition coaching. And that's when I began to see um, more powerful and lasting changes when people started to, you know, listen to guided meditations, which by the way, is a really good way to start. I describe sitting in the silence and bringing your mind back to the present moment, but there are a lot of guided meditations, which is a perfect way to start that will, you know, you just focus on the person speaking to you and let them guide you for the 10 minutes, the 15 minutes, the 20 minutes. Um, so I'm just going to throw out one of my favorite apps right now for that, which is called insight timer. It's all okay. one word. It's free. There's over 15,000 guided meditations 
So you can look up one for stress, anxiety, sleep, mindful eating. Um, and now they have expanded to offer little courses. So you, you do pay for those. They're very inexpensive. But how to meditate, how to be more mindful, um, you know, things of that nature. So I, I do like that app. There are many, many others out there, but that's, that's just one of my favorites. So that's why I brought that into the nutrition piece because, you know, we can learn about food and we can make our food changes, but they're not going to stick if you go through a stressful period and you don't have any coping mechanisms. Yeah, I guess they're hence the training. And it sounds like a guided meditation would be like hiring a personal trainer at the gym. And then eventually yeah. you figure out how to do it yourself. So that that makes sense to me then. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's just, I mean, you can still wander off from their words, but the idea is you just keep coming back to, oh, someone's still talking to me. I need to listen. So, you know, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, it is hard to train our brains to stay here and now, but it does get easier. And the beautiful part about it is that you begin to notice that you are um, calmer in your daily life and you're not as reactionary. And when things do happen, you know, stressful things happen. Mindfulness doesn't make the stressors of our life go away. Um, what mindfulness does, it helps us kind of roll with it a bit better. So the studies have shown that people who have a mindfulness practice have a bit more resiliency and they're better able to recover a lot more quickly um, when, you know, in a stressful event because they typically don't react as strongly. Um, they, they kind of sit more, more with what's happening. And then, you know, just like I said before, kind of decide, am I going to jump into this or am I going to, you know, put this off for later? Or they also have kind of tend to have a bit more of um, a compassionate or loving kindness approach to people in life as well, because part of a mindfulness practice is incorporating compassion and loving kindness to self and others. And there are a lot of beautiful uh, practices that incorporate as part of mindfulness, uh, compassion towards self. And the first place you practice that is, oh, I'm off wandering in thought. Okay, that's normal. It's okay. Don't judge it. Let it go. Come back to the present. And then loving kindness towards self and others just makes us more compassionate towards ourselves and you know, all the other human beings walking this planet right now. Well, let's, let's build the case then for corporations. And so, you know, I, I would imagine there's probably a lot of companies that are beginning to do this. I, I have a couple of companies we work with that have, uh, I've seen meditation rooms, not sure what you do in there. I'd probably just go take a nap in there, but are <laughs> is this becoming more prevalent? And what is the deciding factor for a company to start investing in this? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so the, it is becoming much more prevalent. Most of the Fortune 500 companies, not only do they have um, mindfulness meditation programs, but some of them actually like Google and Amazon and some of these companies actually now are um, have staff, people on staff who are full time. Um, the Google was one of the early adopters and they actually created their own mindfulness training program called Search Inside Yourself. And the reason why these companies are uh, investing so heavily in this for their employees is because the studies have shown, again, um, you know, you can, you can say on the one hand, companies are looking at productivity, 
but also uh, lack of burnout. So when, when an employee is more able to pay attention to the work at hand and turn off, like one of the things that we teach, because uh, I do uh, teach corporate mindfulness and um, I'm a trainer with the, the global leader, actually, in Mindfulness at Work. They're called The Potential Project. They're based out of, um, out of, Amsterdam, out of Denmark, and um, they've been doing this work for 15 years, and we now have a reach in almost every country around the world. And, um, and they found, you know, they've done a lot of research, and they do a lot of pre-surveys and post-surveys. And what they find in, in substantially is that most people are not paying attention about 46% of the time. Wow. <laughs> and that's, yeah. And so leaders and companies are saying, wow, what's happening here? You know, and again, because of technology and all the distractions that brings, it's becomes more and more difficult to be here now and pay attention to the work we're working on. So what mindfulness does, so in companies that do have a meditation room and, and do encourage a practice, they find that the employees are um, getting more done, they're making less mistakes, they're more focused, uh, they're more effective leaders, they have better uh, communication skills, there's less conflict, they're better leaders. Um, and, you know, again, there's just tons of research. There has been a mindful leadership conference going on. Um, now for about five years, I've been a part of that where leaders come from around the world and learn from other companies that are doing it and best case practices. So it's exciting. It's a really exciting, growing field and um, for good reason. And uh, I, for example, did a 10-week program at the uh, Nature's Conservancy which is a, a beautiful company that, you know, helps conserve nature around the world. And um, it was really fun to see people come in after about three or four weeks and start to talk about how they're starting their meetings with a mindful moment, um, how they are turning off their alerts during, you know, their focus time. So say in their morning time when our brains are most able to work on creative projects and problem solving, they'll turn off all their alerts. So they're not getting email dings and pings. They're not getting texts. And then they'll turn back on at, at say 11, check their emails, turn it back off, go to lunch, you know, so they're working more mindfully and getting more done and just feeling more, more calm, more relaxed as well. No, I think it makes sense. I guess your mindful conference would be pretty quiet at the breaks, huh? Wouldn't be people <laughs> making a bunch of racket unless that's when they turn the phones back on, right? <laughs> well, well, this uh, well, this is yeah. another twist, and this is something that. All right, so you mentioned a lot of companies are beginning the workday with a mindful moment. I did you, is that what you said? A mindful, yeah, just testing. a mindful moment, just just kind of they're beginning their day or or a meeting. So everybody's rushing to get to a meeting on time, and people are kind of their phones are on, and they're bringing their laptops, and everybody's kind of everywhere else. Their heads aren't in the room. And so, uh, you know, somebody who's leading a meeting might just say, you know, let's just have a mindful moment. Let's just sit here in silence for a moment and think about what we're here to do. And, you know, so everyone gets quiet. They ground themselves in their seats in the room for that moment. And, and then, you know, it's, it's maybe a minute or two. It's not sitting in meditation for 10 minutes, but it's just getting quiet. Well, I'm, I'm visualizing, I live in middle Tennessee. We're in the heart of the Bible belt that if a company out here said, we're going to begin our day with a mindful meditation, there would be a huge 
storm of protest and you're, you're preaching, uh, you know, Buddhism and all kinds of things. This you mentioned is not a religious thing, right? Although I know there's some religions that, that make this a practice, but everything I'm hearing is that it, it kind of the argument I've heard is that when you're in this mindful moment, that that's when, you know, the devil's got a chance to get into your head, but it almost sounds like when you're in this mindful moment, you put up the walls so nothing gets in there. This this is between you and you. So how do we counter that? Because I think there's probably people saying, I'd love to do it, but my boss, you know, he's a Baptist mm-hmm. and there's no way yeah. he's going to go for this. How do we counter that? I, I totally get it. And I would just call it brain training because that's okay. what it is. So mm-hmm. here's the thing. Let me talk a little bit about the brain science and maybe that will be helpful. So um, we we have a part of our brain, it, it's called the amygdala, which is the, it's a very primitive part of our brain. And it's, it's the part of our brain that keeps us safe and, and alerts us to danger. And it's very active and, um, most people, um, and it's, it's a very primitive part of our brain that, 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 um, you know, again, just keeps us here walking on this earth. So, you know, we're looking around and making sure that we're safe from danger and keeping us out of danger. The problem is, um, uh, it was really, it's, you know, it's these days is being very overactivated. Like every every bit of news and everything we hear, everything we see will trigger that part of our brain to put us into a state of, of fight and flight. And so our brain perceives a stressful thought or event and down our spine to our um, adrenal glands, uh, a message goes that I need to run away from this danger. And so out pumps two very powerful hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, which prepare us to run away from this danger. Well, I'm sitting in traffic trying to get to a talk. It's not going to be very helpful for my body to be releasing lots of adrenaline and cortisol so I can run but I'm sitting in traffic and I can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But instead, I'm starting to shake and I can't focus. And um, and so when you uh, when you what they've shown is in people have a, a who have the brain training and have a mindfulness practice. Um, what happens is is that part of the brain that's been overactivated begins to calm down. And they've actually been able to see in brain scans that. Um, a person who's under a lot of chronic stress, which is a lot of people these days. So say you're a working parent, you're a manager, you have a team you're responsible for, you have kids at home, you have an elder parent, you're having health challenges, which are maybe now causing financial challenges. It's just nonstop. And that's not unusual these days um, for for uh, most employees to have a lot going on like that. Eventually, that system that I mentioned, that, that amygdala starts just to grow from so much activity and your adrenal glands start to, to get worn out. And so we get exhausted and we be, our brains are on over activity and the prefrontal cortex where we actually solve problems and are creative actually shrinks. Mm. And this is, this is not good news. And this is what, the, this is what the science is showing. And this is why people are paying attention. And the, what they've shown is in a very short amount of time of these, this brain training exercise where we sit in we keep focus, bringing our focus back to the present moment. They, they've shown that the amygdala, which is that uh, part of the brain that gets overactivated, and, and think extreme case of this is PTSD. Mm-hmm. So a, a veteran has multiple tours of duties, constantly scanning their environment for danger, keeping their troops safe. Um, they come home, a car backfires, and they're on the ground. Mm-hmm. Whereas you and I might look around and say, what was that? Um, so this part of the brain has gotten overused, like going to the gym over and over again, that part of the brain has grown 
prefrontal cortex shrinks. It's not an ideal brain, healthy brain for doing life and being productive at work and in our life. So they've shown that in just a short amount of time, usually like four weeks of a practice like this, our brain starts to rebalance and um, the amygdala comes back into a normal, begins to come back to a normal size and the prefrontal cortex starts to grow again, the gray matter that we need to be creative and problem solvers. So under stress, we need that part of our brain to solve problems, not that part that just wants to run away. Um, so we become more effective again at, at, at being good leaders, be, be good bosses, taking care of, of the problems at hand. So the science of the brain training is what can counterbalance any thoughts that this is a religious or somehow, you know, connected in that way. If you just look at it as I'm going to the gym for my brain so that my brain can be rebalanced and healthy so that I can be the best person all around. Well, I think another way to counter is if you can get your brain trained to where you can focus, then when you're sitting in church and the sermon's really kind of boring, you'll be able to stay focused, right? There you go. Exactly. I mean, there's many different ways that we can use our ability to focus for our good. And um, yeah, exactly. All right. Makes sense to me. Well, Cheryl, this, I must admit, has been probably one of the best explanations of a topic that's really hard to define. And the way you've tied it into nutrition and whole life and all these things is really powerful. And I'm sure if anyone's listening today, uh, just like myself, I think you, you're probably convinced that this is a good thing to get going with. So before I let you go, how can my audience reach out to you, find out more about what you do, maybe schedule some time to work with you? How do we do that, Cheryl? Yeah, well, thank you. This has been fun. Um, so my website is um, livingwholehealth.com. That's all together, livingwholehealth.com. And I also pretty active on Facebook. Also, you can find my Facebook page, Living Whole Health. And you can see what I'm up to, and I post things there. And um, I'm also on Instagram. Um, and so, yeah, you can find me. Excellent. <laughs> well, Cheryl, thank you so much for, for being on the show. I know that this is a, a transition time for you moving, and I'm sure you're, you're pretty busy. But obviously, you've got the skills to cope with any type of uh, dealing with ambiguity. So... Thanks again for, for taking the time to be with us today. You're welcome. And just to let you know that that I am virtual. So people can, I do, all, most all my coaching now is done via Zoom meetings online. And I'm doing lots of training via webinars. So location is no longer an issue. So I yeah, to put that now there. you do away with that commute, which that's the brain training yeah. for amygdala <laughs> hijacking, right? <laughs> exactly. There you go. You got you had, the lingo. Uh, a lifetime of that living in the DC area. I've, it's taken me five years to unwind and not blow a gasket when a tractor cuts out yeah. in front of me. So <laughs> good stuff. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So livingwholehealth.com. Yeah. Reach out to her. And again, Cheryl, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much. This was fun.
Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast. You know, if you're listening to these as you are commuting to and from work, I would highly recommend you listen again when you get home just so you can take some notes. We do our best to get you great information. And sometimes if you're like me, you got to write the stuff down. On another note, for your further development, if you work for an organization and you think that it would be valuable to partner with us, which I think is a good idea, we invite you to check us out online at thebossbuilders.com. We have three options, our signature driving results on-site workshop, which our trainers come out and deliver for you. We also have our very popular Boss Builder Academy, which is video driven. And we also offer the option of having your organization license our training materials so that your trainers can go ahead and deliver them on site. If you're listening to our podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher, the other thing we'd appreciate is if you could just take a moment and leave us a brief, positive, of course, review. That would really help us out a great deal. And refer this podcast to anybody you know that you think could benefit from it. Until the next time we meet, get out there, boss up, boss on, and more importantly, make a commitment to being the boss at being a great boss. Goodbye.